Hey, it's Kyle Meredith, host of the Kyle Meredith with podcast, presented by WFPK at WFPK.org and the Consequence Podcast Network. It's a series that puts the spotlight on iconic musicians and actors, inviting them to drop by and talk about their latest projects, whether it's albums, TV shows, films, or beyond. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Here it goes. Without Spinal Tap, there is no Tenacious D. Whoa. <laughs> Man. We get great stories and the biggest scoops from people like Garbage's Shirley Manson, the 1975's Matty Healy, Jack Black and Kyle Gass of Tenacious D, Maya Hawk, Kiefer Sutherland, and everyone in between. New episodes arrive every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. You can find Kyle Meredith with on the Consequence Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to Going There, the crossroads where music and mental health meet. This season of Going There is brought to you by AbV, who is driving the pursuit of better mental health. Over the last 30 years, AbV scientists and clinicians have worked to tackle the complexity of mental illness and today offer a portfolio of medicines and a pipeline of innovation that spans depression, anxiety, bipolar 1 disorder, and schizophrenia. To learn more about AbbVie's work to support individuals throughout their mental health journey, please visit www.abbvie.com or follow at AbbVie on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. This episode is also brought to you by Alchemies. Alchemies is a global biopharmaceutical company developing innovative medicines in the field of neuroscience with products that treat alcohol dependence, opioid dependence, schizophrenia, and bipolar 1 disorder. To learn more, please visit Alchemies' website at www.alchemies.com or follow at Alchemies on Twitter and LinkedIn. Today, we are talking with entrepreneur and philanthropist Carmela Wallace. Many of you may know Carmela as the mother of hip-hop artist Juice World. Juice World's musical style was often referred to as emo rap, a style of hip-hop that explored emotional themes such as depression, loneliness, and suicide. Many people consider Juice World to be one of the greatest emo rap artists ever, and his album Legends Never Die to be one of the greatest emo rap albums of all time. In 2019, Juice World tragically died of a drug overdose. In part to honor his death, Carmela founded Live Free 999, whose mission is to support programs that provide preventive measures and positive avenues to address mental health challenges and substance dependence. As an example, 999 Stories of Mental Health allows people to share the stories of their struggles on their mental health journey on the website so that people know that they are not alone in their struggles. To learn more about Carmela's work, go to livefree999.org. Now, on the Going There podcast, we have the tough conversations to address important issues so that we can learn from each other, challenge the stigma of mental illness, and get the care we need. And one of the most difficult issues that we face on our mental health journey is the role of our faith and spirituality in how we understand ourselves and our mental health. And by spirituality, I'm referring to the belief that there is something greater than ourselves, perhaps in ways that we don't fully understand. And our faith in that belief exists by definition without concrete proof, per se. It's a deeper sense of knowing how we see ourselves and the world. To be clear, 
being religious, having faith, or being spiritual is not something that is necessary for us to have strong emotional well-being. But if we are inclined to be religious, to have faith, or to be spiritual, it might be an important component of our improved mental health. In fact, some studies show that there is increasing evidence that not only is a stronger sense of spirituality associated with improved mental health and well-being, but also that integrating spiritual or religious themes into treatment, such as cognitive behavioral therapy, may be efficacious in treating mental health issues such as depression. And of course, spirituality is a core feature of many addiction recovery programs, such as Alcoholics Anonymous. So clarifying and exploring our own sense of spirituality and faith may be useful on our mental health journey. Now, exploring our spirituality can be very confusing as it relates to our mental health. In theory, a strong sense of spirituality can be useful in enhancing our mental health journey. But there are many barriers to this connection. For example, as I mentioned, not everyone has a strong sense of faith or spirituality. Many people are not comfortable with organized religion for various reasons. And so trying to develop this connection after we have developed mental health issues, such as depression or addiction, can be very difficult and may not feel like a good use of our time and effort. But also, if we are deeply connected to our religion or sense of spirituality, experiencing painful emotional or behavioral issues, such as depression or addiction, can actually make us question our sense of faith. And so many people don't necessarily take advantage of faith and spirituality as something that can be a constructive part of our mental health journey. So for those people who are inclined to integrate spirituality into their mental health journey, I wanted to talk with Carmela about how she approaches her faith in the context of her mental health and well-being and how we may learn from her experience. And one of the key concepts that she describes as part of her faith is the notion of turning pain into purpose. This is really the concept that drives Live Free 999 and her personal journey coping with the loss of her son. And for many people, this is perhaps the most important aspect of faith and spirituality, that we can connect to a broader sense of purpose, something bigger than ourselves when we are in pain. And that relationship with our higher power, or however we understand our faith, is there with us, giving us purpose and helping us find meaning, even in tragedy, that we are somehow not alone as we struggle in our lives and our mental health journey. And she explains how she understands her faith as a relationship that she has to work at every day. Now, most activities that can improve our mental health, such as going to therapy, taking medication, or health behaviors such as getting good sleep and regular exercise, are things that we need to do consistently over time. And spirituality is no exception. And Carmela talks about how she works her spirituality on a daily basis, including daily prayer and meditation, as well as doing things for other people. Now, as we progress through this season of Going There, our goal is to bring you, the audience, further into the conversation. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions you have that have been sparked by our conversations with these incredible artists, and topics you'd love to see addressed. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. These help other folks find their way into the conversation so they can go there with us. So let's go there and listen to what Carmela has to say. Hi, Carmela. Welcome to Going There. Hi, how are you today? I'm doing well. So we talked before the podcast about a, a very important and interesting topic, which, which you described as turning pain into purpose. Mm -hmm. And so let's talk a little bit about that. Well... It's, it's no word to explain the loss of a child. There's no definition for that, no word for that. So 
losing Jared was just, it was tragic, you know, and just as I was just going through the process of, of healing and just day by day, I started uh, reading messages from fans, how his music helped them. And I felt like it was a gap. You know, I felt like they kind of were left alone that because he had a such a positive message about mental health and anxiety. And he was just so honest. I felt like as his mom, I had a responsibility just to, to keep that torch going, you know, to keep that conversation going about mental health and mental wellness. So I formed the foundation, Live Free 999, to help those struggling and suffering in silence, you know, to let them know it's okay not to be okay and to get help, you know, just not to suffer alone. So um, I was motivated by him and I continue to be motivated by him as his mom and um, a mission and keeping his legacy alive by just helping those who are hurting. You know, one of the things that's interesting about the concept of pain, especially emotional pain, is that so many people see it as something to suppress or to push aside or to avoid. And one of the things that's very tempting about that is that when the pain is intense, mm -hmm. like when we've suffered a loss or we're in the context of something like depression or addiction, it, it really feels so tempting to do that. And, and if, you're, if you're okay with it, I'm just kind of curious, how are you able to shift because the loss of a child is, is such a tremendous source of pain, mm -hmm. but to be able to shift from that pain into the concept of, well, I, I want to do something here. Well, it, it wasn't easy. Um, first of all, we're, we're believers. So you know, my faith helped tremendously. And, and Jared was a believer as well. So that's assuring for me. But the pain is still real. You know, regardless if I'm a believer or not, it was, it was premature. And it's just day by day. I took it day by day. And I allow myself to have a bad day. You know, I allow myself to say, you know, I'm not really feeling well. Now, the sting of him dying is gone. You know, that part. But it'll always be something there. You know, how can it not be? But it's just, I just use it for something positive or something that gives life. You know, something that builds up instead of, you know, tears down. So I just... I just use that energy to help other people. And, it, and I, allow myself, I allow myself space to have a bad day. You know, when you're talking about the concept of being a believer and the idea of faith, mm -hmm. that's, that's a topic that a lot of people maybe both turn to and struggle with mm -hmm. when they're dealing mm -hmm. with anything having to do with mental health. Because mm -hmm. on the one hand, people will turn to whatever they would believe is a higher power or source of faith. Mm -hmm. But at times they will also start to question their faith when they're in pain. And that, that can be a very tricky balance for people. And so if, if you're comfortable with it, I'm just kind of curious how you understand some kind of a loss like this in the concept of your belief system and, and how faith has helped you in this context. Well, my faith was there before it happened, which helped. You know, I didn't develop faith after I lost my son. I, I walked that way. I lived that life. Doesn't mean you're perfect. And it doesn't mean you don't have pain. You know, it's delusional for people to think if someone is a believer that they don't deal with anything. And I believe in dealing with things directly. I mean, being a believer doesn't mean that I don't live here on earth. It doesn't mean that I don't have real challenges or real struggles or, or anyone else for that matter. So it's, it's about using wisdom and using the tools that you have to help you. So Jared had therapy when he was in high school. You know, we, he went weekly. 
Um, that had nothing to do with faith, but you know, God gives me wisdom to make wise decisions. And I can't say, oh, my, your faith is going to make your anxiety go away. That's not realistic. You know, we need to, I believe in, um, it's, it's something in the scripture it says natural, you know, first natural, then spiritual. You have to deal with your natural person is here. Um, and just the, the faith part, it gives you that strength. It gives you that focus to pray. You know, some people meditate, I'll pray to give you that direction to go in where you're just still and you allow the Lord to lead you. But it does not mean that, you know, you won't experience hurt, pain, rejection. That's what's here. So it just, it helps you navigate through those things, knowing that we believed in God and I believe he's in a better place and he's not struggling anymore. So that helps me. And then, you know, I take it from there, but by no means I can't say, well, because I'm a, I'm a believer, you know, anxiety or depression, we don't have to deal with. I think you have to confront those things. And I think it's delusional for someone to think them just being a believer will take care of those situations. You know, I had a very interesting conversation with a Catholic priest, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but mm-hmm. I, I asked him what he told people who were religious but didn't necessarily know if they fully believed all the aspects of religion. Mm-hmm. And he said something very interesting to me, which is that, you know, <clears throat> I can't tell you how you're going to feel the hand of God. Right. He's like, all I can tell you is this, the more you go to church, the more you read the Bible, the more you go to confession, the more you do onto others, the more you practice forgiveness, the more likely it is over time that you'll feel the hand of God. He's like, that's really the best I have for people. And I, I really liked that description because I felt that what it did was it, it set up the concept of like, well, what's that feeling that we want? You know, what mm-hmm. is, what is a, an individual's version of the hand of God? You know, if someone's a believer that might be literal in other cases, it might be metaphorical. And what are the different practices that people can do in order to sort of regularly connect with that feeling with the understanding that it, it may not happen right away. Mm-hmm. And I'm just kind of curious because I, I adopted that for mm-hmm. myself and I adopted that in my practice. I'm kind of curious what you think of that mindset. Does that feel right to you and consistent with how you approach it? I think so. I think it's, it's a relationship, you know, it's not, it's not magic. You know, you don't, you don't pray and things go away. Usually you pray and you have to do some work with the prayer, you know, and going back to, you know, things that Jesus did when he was here, whenever he did a miracle, whenever he healed, he required the other person to do something too. He didn't just wave a wand and say, okay, now you're healed. Uh, The man had a withered hand. He said, stretch forth your hand, you know, pick up your bed. You have to do something too. So it's a, it's a relationship, but it's an interactive relationship. So I think God, gives me wisdom and I could feel his presence. Um, and it's something that grows over time, like any other relationship. And the more you walk, the more you take the time and put into it, the more you get out of it. So I think that's a good definition. Yeah. And so if, if we can bring that into the world where people are struggling with their mm-hmm. mental health. So let's say somebody is experiencing something like depression mm-hmm. in that concept of faith, mm-hmm. how, when someone is in a place where it's hard to connect with hope, mm-hmm. it's hard to, to believe that one's faith is necessarily, you know, doing 
them any good. I mean, it's, it's, there's a test kind of a, a vibe mm-hmm. to it. How, how would you, would you suggest that somebody creates that relationship or fosters that relationship in the context of that kind of episode? It's a daily walk, basically. It's a daily walk, you know, and, you know, realistically, you have to take the steps to be okay. And it's, it's more than just, um, it's more than confession. I think it's, I think it's about, um, taking ownership and making a decision to make a change. Um, and I don't think that's really a faith thing. I think that's a personal decision that you, you need to, you know, I need to do something different. Uh, I'm in a, I'm not in a good place. You know, what can I do better? You know, and, and your faith may come in where you pray and say, Lord, can you lead me to the right person? You know, but you don't neglect that aspect that something is wrong. And I think a lot of people that get delusioned about that, you know, a little delusional thinking that, oh, it's a magic wand. I'm, be- I'm a believer. You know, nothing happens. Everything is, you know, sun and daisies, but it doesn't work that way. It- it's a relationship. Yeah. And you're really talking about, I think something that is at least theoretically consistent with cognitive behavioral therapy, which is that our thoughts and our beliefs are, are best manifested in our actions and our mm-hmm. actions and the potential results of those actions are the best ways to foster a healthy belief system. You know, and so if you're, if you're, you know, sitting there as, as many people do when they've had a loss or when they're depressed and thinking, well, I, I, I don't know that I'll ever find love or I don't know that anybody loves me. That's, that's a very deep, hurtful feeling. Mm-hmm. And it may take a, a while to get to the point where someone is willing to take a step towards testing that out or testing or building something where they can experience love. But it's usually on the other end of a series of those behaviors, this walk, as, as I'm interpreting it, of what you're talking about, you know, to, to try to feel that, to try to connect in that way. And I, I think that's a very difficult thing for people to do is to take, even to just con- take a first step mentally to conceptualize mm-hmm. that it's even possible that they can feel differently than they feel at that moment when they're depressed, when they're anxious, when mm-hmm. they're in the throes of addiction. Oh, I agree. It's, uh, and I'm sure you feel alone, you know, and that's the whole thing with depression. And like, it's, it likes to get people alone, you know, and they, you know, they feel bad. They have horrible self thoughts and, you know, things happen from those, those alone thoughts, you know? So I think keeping it inside is the wrong way. And I think definitely talking about it, we have something on our, um, on our foundation website where we have people sharing their stories because a lot of times people feel like they're the only ones that's going through something. So my, my idea behind share your, the share your story campaign. And it started, it started, um, I think last year or something we started, but we just continued it because people are sharing and, and people are able to read the stories that people shared just so they could feel you're not alone. And I think that's the biggest enemy, you know, if that's the, you know, that works with depression, you know, making you think you're alone. You're the only one to suffer this, you know, and a lot of people put on a happy face, but just because they put on a happy face, that does not mean that they're okay. And, and this is the concept of alone is where I really like 
how you describe pain into purpose. Because from my perspective, emotional pain is designed to do two things. One, it's to validate that there's something wrong. Mm-hmm. It's to let us know whether that something wrong is a uh, biological uh, issue that somebody has that, that may have nothing to do with how they think or what they're doing or, or anything in their life. Some people, it's how they're thinking. Some people have experienced a loss or some kind of stress. But whatever it is, it's, a, it's, it's communication. It's kind of what you described as that relationship saying, hey, there's something happening here that, mm-hmm. that needs attention. And I think that depending on what emotion it is, the second part is, you know, like, for example, with depression, I think it's to validate and to heal. Yeah. I think the point of it is to say we need time to heal. And I think when people feel alone, they don't turn their pain into purpose. No. Like you're describing. And to me, that's one of the biggest things about hearing stories from other people is that it, it does feel horrible to be alone. But and so it's good to know that one is not alone, but it's also good to hear, you know, hey, there's there's a path here potentially. And I think it's very hard when people are in that much pain to think that there's anything constructive that can come from this. Yeah, but you know, there's a difference between being lonely and being alone as well. Um, you could be alone and not be lonely. I think it's that that loneliness that really eats them up, you know, that nobody's here for me, you know, I'm all by myself. That's that's a loneliness, you know, or as opposed, you're alone. Strength can come from being alone. You know, you could have alone time and pray and meditate or, you know, do something relaxing for yourself. Um, so I think it's a difference. And I think that's why the pain into purpose is so powerful because, you know, the, the Surgeon General recently said that, you know, loneliness is a major public health issue. I think the research shows that, depending on, on what study you look at, that it, it might even be as much of a risk factor for poor health as things like smoking. And I, I think that one way of addressing loneliness is to have contact with people. Mm-hmm. But another way is what you're describing is actually learning how to be alone in a more healthy, effective yes. way. Yes. And, and to be able to see that as an opportunity rather than uh, judgment because loneliness is the judgment of mm-hmm. being alone. It's not, mm-hmm. as you said, being alone. Does that feel consistent yeah. with your guys' messaging? I, I agree. And that's where I think a lot of people do find strength in faith, in whatever they see as as a, a some higher power that they can connect into. And I think that's one of the reasons why those concepts, so many people turn to that for comfort, but also in recovery programs higher powers can often be a part of that because just the idea that there's something greater out there that you can connect into uh, can turn that again, that sense of being alone into, like you said, that pain into purpose. Like there's something to do here. There's something to connect. Mm-hmm. There's a step there at least. Absolutely. So one of the reasons why we talk here on going there about music and mental health is that one of the things that for whatever reason people believe in, that they feel like they can connect into, that's a bigger world, is music. Mm-hmm. That there is this important culture out there of music that involves the artists and the fans. And, and sometimes just being able to even just listen to music that we connect with can be one of those first steps. It can be that pain into purpose Mm -hmm. transition. And I'm just kind of curious from your perspective, 
if that's something that you feel like you've turned to in your life? Well, music has always been a, a big part of my life. And I think I've always used it like everyone else. You know, you have a, I have a inspirational music. I have, you know, upbeat music. I have music I use when I work out. So it's, it's whatever you're looking for. It's, it's music, you know, to, to feed that. And I think, uh, the artist, they have, uh, such a big responsibility and such a big impact on who, who receives their music, who hears their music and this, just the impact that their music may have on individuals. Like, a lot of the messages I receive about Jared's music is that his music healed them. So it was something he was saying with his honesty and transparency about how he was feeling. It made other people listening to it feel that they weren't alone. There's that alone thing again, you know, made them feel like somebody could relate and somebody understands what they're saying. And by him being a, a male, an African-American male, that was not the norm to be so open and giving with your emotions. So him doing that in his music was so impactful and touched and saved so many lives that it's just overwhelming when I think about it. So music just has that, the ability to bring healing. One of the things that you talk about and, and tell me if I'm quoting this correctly is just the importance of listening without judging. Mm -hmm. that that's one of the things that your foundation that you guys talk about. And that's, I think, one of the things that people get from music because you're talking about this, this honesty, mm -hmm. right? And, and this idea that when you listen to an artist who is honest in that way, it feels as though, I mean, you are listening to them, mm -hmm. but in a strange way, it almost feels like they're listening to you without judging mm -hmm. by being willing to put it out there mm -hmm. in that way. Yeah, like they get me, you know, they get me. Yeah, and 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 it it's it's a very powerful feeling. It has the the ability to to kind of challenge what might be stereotypes and challenge stigma as mm -hmm. well. Because I think that for a lot of people, one of I mean, mental health issues are are problematic, obviously in and of themselves. But one of the things that makes them even harder to deal with is the stigma. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and my point is just the conversation. Um, that's why we have sharing your conversations, because we want to remove that. Because, I mean, we say it and I don't want it to be like a catchphrase, you know, where it's the buzzword, you know, it's the latest buzzword, you know, that. But I see I see mental health being taken more seriously now, which is good, because I think now people are starting to feel uncomfortable with being uncomfortable or saying that they're not OK and I remember when I worked in the corporate world many moons ago, you know, having to have a mental health day. Well, you can tell them I'm taking off for a mental health day. It had to be a sick day. So I think, you know, the seriousness around uh, the conversation is really going to change the dynamic of the dynamics of how we deal with mental health issues. Now, do you feel comfortable talking about because one of the things that people when they're listening will ask about is practical kind of daily routines and habits that people have used in their own life that are either done in a just way of perpetuating good mental health or coping with difficult mental health issues. Are there anything that, that you feel comfortable sharing where you can say, well, this is, this is something that I do that really has helped me. I can 
share some of the things I do. Um, like every morning I set aside, I like taking care of my dogs. Uh, it's something about that. It's just very therapeutic for me. I mean, cleaning up after them and everything, just really, really tending to the dogs. So I do that in the morning. Then I have um, like quiet time to pray or just to reflect, just to sit, you know, for a bit. And so I have that routine and it just gives me a chance to really get in the day. I get up really early too. So I am an early bird. I get up early and I just have some me time to to really decide to see what direction my day is going in and, and just really just have some time before I dive into the day. And then another thing I like to do, I like to play pinball. I, I've loved pinball ever since I was a kid. I would be late going to school playing pinball. So it's something about pinball. I've always loved, so I do that, and I, I like playing basketball. So I have different things that I like to do to unwind, and then I like helping other people. You know, I like giving. I have a project going on where I'm I'm building a brew pub restaurant. So I like to keep busy. I like for my plate to be really full, and I just like to maximize my day, and just um, that that helps me. And, and there's a lot there that I just want to I want to highlight and just uh, reflect back and, and tell me if I've um, if I'm getting the the process there because there's a mm -hmm. lot of things that that you brought up mm -hmm. that I I would certainly recommend to people. So the first thing that you're talking about is taking care of in this case the dogs, but mm -hmm. what you're really doing in that is is putting care into somebody else. There, there's something or something else, depending on how, how one views a pet, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, there is really something very powerful about grounding oneself in, I, I have a purpose for something that I, that I love or that I care about mm -hmm. in some ways. Is that, is, does that feel it is consistent with what's yeah, happening? It does. The purpose part. Like it's, there's, there's always a sense of, okay. I, I have, I have something that matters mm -hmm. that I do. And I think that that, that's an important thing for people to have in whatever form. And it keeps you humble. You know, it keeps me humble, you know, to clean up after my, I mean, I could pay somebody to clean up after my dog, but I prefer to do it. You know, I, I clean up after them. They know I'm very active in their lives and it just, it's a good feeling in the morning when I do it. It just, um, it's therapeutic in a way, you know, just to just serve something else. Now, what, when you say humble, could you, mm -hmm. could you tell me a little bit more about that? Because that means different things to different people. Um, and I'm just kind of curious how that grounds you in terms of your mental health. Knowing that there's something greater than me uh, keeps me humble and, and serving. Um, not thinking of myself more highly than I should is, is how I define humble and just... Um, just basically that's it. You know, don't think of myself more highly. And that doesn't mean you don't love yourself, but it, it doesn't come with arrogance. So it's, it's like the opposite of arrogance. Now, now that's, it's interesting because oftentimes when people are experiencing mental health issues, they have low self-esteem that may have existed beforehand or maybe the result. Now, when you're talking about keeping yourself humble the, when, when, you, when you hear it, you could wonder whether or not someone is going to feel put down by that. But oh. most people who have that process see it more almost as like a gratitude. And yeah. so can you, you sort of, you kind of navigate 
through like how does one retain a sense of humbleness that that builds them up as opposed to potentially is another thing that like oh i'm 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 you know less than in some way well it, it starts with self confidence so i mean it's it's about knowing who you are um so i'm confident in who i am but that doesn't put me above anyone else so it has nothing to do with um with my abilities i think it's just your outlook on life in general and and it doesn't mean that you're not worthy. You're not worth it. It's just that you're just as worthy as the next person. You know what I'm, that's, that's my point. You know, it's nothing about me that's better than anyone else. You know, we're on, we're on that same page. So I don't put myself like I'm over you. So then you're open to hear if someone's saying, well, I need help or I'm struggling, you know, that judgment isn't there because I'm not looking at myself above you. You know, I may say, this is a safe space. Let's talk about it. As opposed to even if if they share something that you may be uncomfortable with, which as a parent, I had to deal with my my son as he got older and he would just share so much stuff with me. Some of it I wouldn't want to hear, but he trusted me enough to share it with me. So I had to listen to it and I had to learn to deal with just he told me and not to make it something else, not to not to hold it against him. But to still challenge him on it, that doesn't mean that he could just tell me anything. And I would say, oh, OK, no, if he was wrong, I was going to tell him he was wrong. I would tell him the truth. But it's just all the way that you do it to make them feel comfortable enough to trust you to share that information with you. Yeah. And sometimes one of the things that I find is that when people feel badly about themselves, there's an assumption that they started from feeling OK and then they feel less than. But a lot of times what happens is people don't start at feeling okay. They start with the expectation that they should feel or be amazing. And then if they're just okay, it's the same distance as it would be if they were less than. And so one thing I could imagine the humbleness doing is, is eliminating that dynamic is sort of don't struggle with you need to be this amazing thing, that amazing thing. If you, if you stay humble, then you can kind of meet yourself at, at the ground level, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And then you open, you're open to get better. You know, you're open to be honest with yourself and, and do some, some honest self-reflect reflection to, to really be your best self. I really like that. I really like that definition of humble that concept of being open, that, that really, um, I feel like for a lot of people, because one of the things that, that we see with studies is that when we are depressed or anxious or whatever, it's harder for us to connect with, if we're in a negative mood with more positive things, it's harder to be open. Mm -hmm. It's harder to imagine things that are different than how we feel. And this idea of being humble and doing for others if that can ground you in being open at the same time, that, that feels very powerful, that idea, which I guess brings me to the next thing that you talked about, which is the meditation. Mm -hmm. And if you could, that for a lot of people, that idea of being able to reflect on oneself. Mm -hmm. Now, could you, could you explain how that works for you? Cause different people meditate or pray in different ways. So my day would start out with like a, like a daily verse I get. Um, 
and I actually just allow, allow the spirit of the Lord to lead me in that, you know, I just take that time for him. So if it, if it feels like I'm going to read this verse, um, I may study on that. I may read other verses. I may, I may watch, um, a service or a sermon, you know, it, it depends on what I need that day, but I'm just feeding my spirit person. It just kind of helps me balance, you know? So it's not like I'm, I have a meditation routine. Part of my routine is to, to sit and read and I may reflect, you know, uh, do some self-reflecting in that time. So I think that's something that um, it's very individualized, you know, what, what works for, what works for people. Do you choose different readings based on what you feel like you need at a given time, or do you go in a certain I choose different. I choose different readings. I have like a verse of the day that comes to me. It may be a, a study with one of the ministries I may follow. They may have a study going on. So something like that, something I can relate to. And it usually relates to what I'm going through at the moment too. Yeah. And And, and the other thing you talked about is – looking ahead at your day and seeing mm -hmm. what you have going that that often is a step that people skip where they don't necessarily connect their purpose with their behaviors in a given day and so they don't necessarily have a, a clear sense of well, why am i doing this how does this fit into my purpose who i am and in some cases like how am i building my own spiritual and mental health do, do you try to make those connections or is it more of like an organizational thing? Like, I just want to kind of see what's ahead of me. I just let it flow. Really. Um, I don't, I just let it flow. I, I think I'm in such a habit of doing certain things cause I've been doing them that way for so long that it's just, it's just second nature to me to just do it that way. But I don't think, I don't think it should be a lot of pressure to put on yourself to get that. Cause then that's, that's anxiety within itself. I think, People just need to find what works for them, you know, what what brings them to that that place of peace, you know, whatever, whatever works for you, because um, I don't think you should base it on what someone else does, because we're all different. Do, do you feel that if you have something that you feel like is part of your purpose? So let's say, for example, you're thinking to yourself, well, I want to do something for my foundation today. Mm -hmm. And but you're feeling like, OK, I don't. I don't feel like I want to do that. Do you, when you're talking about that flow, do you push yourself for that? Or do you say, I'm going to give myself some space to not today? It depends on how I feel. Honestly, if I feel like this is a, it's a really busy day. I have too much on my plate and I feel like I'm being overwhelmed. Then I just change my schedule. I don't allow myself to just get so overwhelmed. And sometimes you have to push yourself and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you feel like I'm, I'm pushing and I'm exhausted, you know, I have to take things off. So it's a matter of being in touch with yourself, being honest with yourself and knowing what you can handle. So if I feel like this is just too much stuff and I cannot realistically accomplish everything I need to accomplish today, then I'm, I start thinking, OK, what needs to be moved? Because, you know, I can only do one thing. So I have a very realistic, realistic position on dealing with stuff. I don't try to make it like, oh, I feel this way. I'm going to push it. If I if I don't feel up to it and I know my body is telling me you need to stop, I'm going to stop. And if it's something that needs to be done, I'm going to push through it. Yeah, it seems like the, the balance is it's like if I can let me do as much as I can, that's going to be constructive. But when I start feeling like this is more destructive, 
Mm-hmm. That's and it's it's hard to know, I think, for people because so many of the things that people aspire to do require so much intense work. And sometimes it's hard to know when are you pushing yourself in a good way as opposed to an unhealthy way. That's true. That's true. So it comes really into self-awareness and really getting to know, okay, this works for me. This doesn't work for me. Paying attention to yourself. I didn't come out of the box like this. I had to learn how to do this because I just had so much on my plate and and I just had to learn, you know, it's okay to push the push back. You know, it's okay. You know, the world is still going to go. You know, it's not life or death. If it's not an emergency or life or death, then it's okay to just be flexible. Yeah. And, you, you know, one of the things, the other things you talked about, basketball, I mean, I think there's so much evidence that physical activity improves mental, emotional, and physical well-being that, I mean, it, it it's almost to the point where, hey, anything that one does, it's basketball, walking, anything mm-hmm. that gets movement is probably good for one's uh, emotional well-being. However, pinball, I think that's the, I've been doing this for a long time, and this is the first time anyone has brought up pinball as part of their emotional well-being. So I, I think if it's okay, we're going to have to get into that just a bit because sure. pinball therapy needs to be a thing. It and, should be really. And we need to kind of, <laughs> we need to kind of start it now. So what is it? I mean, I, I for me, I, I, as soon as you said it, I was like, of course, but then I was realizing like, I, I don't even know if do kids play pinball. I think it's this? back popular again. I think it's kind of, it's trending. Yeah. I think it's trending now. So what, what is it about pinball in particular? Because that is, you know, ever since the who did pinball wizard, I think that. Yes. Right. Exactly. Known, you know, exactly. It's something when I was a kid, I, I remember that song when I was a kid, it's just something about the pinball machines that just always, I was drawn to as a child. So it's good to do things that you like, you know, to find those things that you like, that's relaxing to you, that makes you feel better. And that's just one of those things for me. It's just the, you know, the rush you know, the challenges within the game, um, the high score. I like to challenge myself, beating my score, you know, so just, just the fun of challenging myself and, and doing better because I'm very competitive. Um, it, it, it's just a rush. And I'm, if I'm having a bad day and I need to let out a little aggression, you know, I could, you know, shake the machine a little bit and uh, just, you know, it's just a way to unwind for me. Could could we be the first place to say that Carmelo Wallace plays a mean pinball? I mean, is that, has that been said before? Cause I'd like to be the first person who said that. Yeah. I'm not a professional though. So I, I don't want them to start ridiculing me, but um, I'm, I'm decent. I think I'm pretty good. I think I can hold my own. All right then. I think I can do a little damage. Do a little damage. So <laughs> at the end of every, uh, most episodes, we ask people, you know, we're asking about music before in general, but we ask about, are there any specific artists or songs or albums that you feel like were particularly important in your mental health journey where you, you discovered something about like, hey, this was the first time I realized I felt this or this is what the music I go to when I'm struggling? No, but I can tell you... Um... The music I go through to be encouraged. I can, I can tell you something like that. So it's an artist, um, Israel Houghton. I always mess up his name. Um, 
I like his music because it's like encouraging. You know, it's like uh, it's, it kind of like prepares you. It like it, it revs you up to just like deal with whatever you're going to going through, knowing that you know it's going to be okay. You know, it's tough, but it it's like a like a war song. You know, it just charges you up. Like, okay, let's go do this day. Um, and then I have like, you know, in the evening time, maybe a long day, I may want to put on some, some old school music and just chill, you know? So it, I think, um, music is so impactful and so powerful that you can find music for everything, what, you know, what really. Old, what counts as old school music for you? Like eighties. Let's, let's. 80s. Are, are we willing to shout out anyone specific? Because I mean, we're, we're speaking my language now. And see, and then I'm an old school rock and roll person too. So I love old school rock. Um, um, let's see some of the old 80s groups like Earth, Wind & Fire, like the old school R&B. Um, as far as like rock, we have like the Scorpions. I'm a Scorpion head. Um, so I'm extreme with my music. I could go from from what from the Scorpions to old school R and B. You know everything in between there. Um, which I love about my taste in music has always been that way. So I just you know it's it's a music it's music for everything, every mood, every part of your life. You could find something on the drive home. That was always a good one. You know people have their routines. You know. I'm seeing I'm seeing an elemental like theme because there's the rock you like a hurricane, earth, wind, and yes. fire. I think it's gotta it's gotta winds of change. I think it's gotta have yes. an elemental vibe. I think yes. that's that's the theme I'm seeing through it. Yes. Yes. And and say something. It has to say something. That's like with the old mu- the old music, the old school music, and, and no offense to the the artists that are out now, but it was just different. It was just a different time. Um, it was different, different music. And they, they said a lot, you know, they sang love songs, you know, it, it was just different. Carmela, thank you for validating. Uh, I needed someone to be able to say that the Scorpions were good for emotional yes. well-being because up until now, in addition to pinball, no one's ever said that to me before. So this is good. There's a lot of firsts <laughs> today. And the wind of change, you picked a very good song. Cause that's like my favorite. It, it's not. I, so to, to, um, for full disclosure, uh, still loving you. Is, that's a is good my, one. That's my favorite. Okay. Uh, I do like winds of change, but I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, um, represent myself falsely. The, <laughs> you know, still loving you is, 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 is a thousand that's percent a good far one. and away. My, that's a good one. My Scorpion song. That's a good one. Yeah. So, all right. Well, Carla, thank you so much, uh, for coming on. I think, you know, the work that you are doing is so important and I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, and again, so sorry for your loss. Thank you. Um, thank appreciate you. the concept of turning pain into purpose. Uh, very, very critical and what you're doing to help facilitate that for people. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. So there it is, Carmela Wallace, mother of the late Juice World and founder of Live Free 999 talking about the role of her faith and spirituality on her mental health journey. Now, there's so much to be taken away from the conversation with Carmela. But one thing I wanted to talk about was Carmela's concept of being humble. Now, many people think being humble is somehow akin to having lower self-esteem, like we're less than as opposed to being proud with high self-esteem. But the way Carmela talks about being humble feels more like an openness. When we struggle with our mental health, One of the things that happens is that we often feel that we know everything that will happen to us, and it will all be bad. 
So for example, when we are depressed, our minds really focus on the most negative outcomes possible, and it is difficult for us to imagine anything positive happening in our lives. When we have a sense of faith that there is something greater than us out there, that we are part of something bigger that we haven't fully figured out yet, it opens our minds to the possibility that we may not always be right in our most negative thoughts. We may not be as alone as we think, or we may not always struggle like we are when we are in the throes of depression, anxiety, or addiction. And that faith can be in anything, our vision of God, nature, science, a country or town, a type of music or music community, or an ideal such as freedom or democracy. Anything that helps us feel that there is something bigger than ourselves and allows us to tap into that humble mind that is open and grateful for the opportunity to keep trying on our mental health journey. I want to thank Carmela Wallace for this wonderful conversation. This season of Going There is brought to you by Ab V, who is driving the pursuit of better mental health. Over the last 30 years, Ab V's scientists and clinicians have worked to tackle the complexity of mental illness and today offer a portfolio of medicines and a pipeline of innovation that spans depression, anxiety, bipolar 1 disorder, and schizophrenia. To learn more about AbbVie's work to support individuals through their mental health journey, please visit www.abvie.com or follow at AbbVie on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. This episode is also brought to you by Alchemies. Alchemies is a global biopharmaceutical company developing innovative medicines in the field of neuroscience with products that treat alcohol dependence, opioid dependence, schizophrenia, and bipolar 1 disorder. To learn more, please visit Alchemies' website at www.alchemies.com or follow at Alchemies on Twitter and LinkedIn. And I, of course, want to thank Consequence Podcast Network and Sound Mind Live for including me in this wonderful project. And thanks to Pete Wilson and the Rooks for letting us use their song, I Know. If you are struggling with anxiety, depression, or addiction and are looking for help, please call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration National Helpline at 1-800-622-4357. If you're thinking about harming yourself and want to seek help, please contact the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988 you may also go to the Sound Mind Live and Consequence website for more information. So be healthy, be safe, and be kind to yourself and others. See you next time at the Crossroads. What, which, this, that, or the other? From Bonnaroo to Coachella, traversing the music festival landscape can be tricky. That's where we come in with high fives for everyone. The What Podcast with Brad, Barry, Lord Taco, dedicated to exploring the entire festival scene. Brad has worked in the radio industry for more than 20 years and currently lives in Brooklyn, where he is program director for three stations, including one in New York, one in Detroit, and one in Miami. Barry's been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, covering all aspects of the entertainment industry since 1987. That's before you were born. Lord Taco, the smart guy who makes these podcasts on our website at thewhatpodcast.com work. Also really good at identifying babies, loves blue-haired moms, PBR, and his beautiful Volkswagen bus. We all fell in love with the Bonnaroo Festival years ago, not only because of the amazing bands that play there every year, but also because of the incredible community spirit that has developed around it. Radiate positivity. And we really like talking about the inside baseball stuff when it comes to putting on a huge music festival. So join us. You can hear the What Podcast on the Consequence Podcast Network or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.